shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. It's all about celebrating your love of a galaxy far, far away. And Little Debbie is the fan's choice for all those sweet moments. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. Or Boston. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. Well, our voyage of discovery of the Ghost Crew continues this week. Last week it was Hera, this week it's Sabine. A little backstory. And by little, I mean little. We get some. A few hints here and there about what drives young Sabine. She's had a lot of careers. She's on her third career, and she's like 20 years old. It's amazing. It's amazing. But we're going to break it all down for you here on Rebels Declassified, looking at Blood Sisters, episode six of season two of Star Wars Rebels. Original air date for this, by the way, November 18th, 2015, right here before uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, got a great great and timely guest on the program uh, coming up and uh, who will help us uncover what we can in this episode. But first, of course, joining me. Wow, there's a lot of noise. What's going What's going on? You building a house there? Who is that? <laughs> well, it's not me. Hey, Jason. Right. Hey, Star Wars fans. Right. Yeah, well, I didn't get I didn't introduce you. Well, the people what? know who I am. I, I think it's our <laughs> guest. Our what, guest is. Wait, 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 wait. It's our guest. He's, Are he's you doing some light construction. What's he, what's he's he, not even talking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you want me to? Talk? I thought you were going to say something. I was just. I, I am at. Yeah, we, we've started into my living room, man. You, you oh, walk into your God. living room. What's going on over there, Kevin oh. Lyle? Kevin Lyle, Star yeah, Wars artist. All right, all right. Ruined the whole introduction. <laughs> yeah, and now and now everyone knows I have wooden floors in yeah. my stairs leading to the living room. Wooden floors. Jeez. There's a lot of noise going on. You're, it was la- Your floors are louder than Kyle Newman's dogs. <laughs> he lives in a log cabin. <laughs> I guess so. All right. Well, yes, uh, the cat's out of the bag. We have Jimmy Mack, of course, my good friend and yours uh, from Chicago. And, uh, and Kevin Lyle, He uh, no stranger to Star Wars fans, of course, uh, an artist. And not just any artist, but a participant and a, a, a winner. I guess we could say winner of the uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens fan art contest. To those of you who follow Kevin on social media, you'll know that he was just out in L.A. and received the VIP treatment at the a gallery show in La La Land of uh, several submissions. So, so, Kevin, I honestly, because I have no artistic ability, I wasn't following this this story in this contest until I saw that you were one of the one of the winners, one of the ones selected to have your work there. So uh, tell us how you uh, came about putting together your piece that you submitted and what the big trip was like. Well, it, it all started at, uh, at D23, uh, where my company and I, I'm sure most of you guys know, um, I'm a, uh, I'm an art director at a jewelry company where we design uh, uh, Star Wars jewelry uh, for Lucasfilm. And I was out at D23 in August out in Anaheim, same exact place that Celebration was at, same exact convention center. I stayed at the same hotel. 
And they anyway, uh, they had this huge poster that they were giving away. They only made 150 of them, the Drew Stusen poster. All right. Not the little one, but this was a big one. It's like it's like half the size of a door to your house. It's it's huge. And I wanted one of those. And the people who were giving it away were the Art Awakens, the uh, the Force for Change people. And when I was when I was getting the poster, I had mentioned I was an artist, and they're like, "Hey, we're doing this contest. You know, it's do you want to be in it? It's about the Force Awakens and stuff." But then it's raising money for UNICEF. And then I had on my phone, I had a picture of a half drawn painting that I was doing of Kylo Ren. And I'm like, "How about something like this?" And he's like, yeah, that's perfect. You should submit it. I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. I'll do that. I'll finish it. And I'll submit it. And I finished it like a month later. And I sent it in. So you had started the Kylo Ren piece before you knew about this contest. Yes, I did. Oh, was, okay. So you were halfway done already. Oh, um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> what, why Kylo Ren? And, and what was the inspiration behind that actual piece? Uh, I think he's great looking, man. Mm. I think it's the, 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 the dynamics of his eyes. Uh, which um, is kind of fun. If you, if you think of the way his face looks, just yesterday somebody posted on social media a picture of the old Kenner boxes where they'd have Star Wars and that silver line that would go around the corner. Yeah, that, that piping. Mm-hmm. It, that piping, exactly. Yeah. That's what Kylo Ren's eyes look like. I saw that yesterday. I'm like, well, maybe that's why I'm so attracted to it. Maybe, yeah, he looks, it looks like a carded action figure right there in the middle of his face. <laughs> something like that or something. But So I, I just uh, I like the character. And actually, after I started painting it, I was like, wow, he looks really, really cool. Yeah. And um, Now, how big so, is the actual piece? It is um, 16 by 20 inches. It's, okay. um, it's big. It's, it's oil on masonite. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is big. All right. And, and so what was the uh, submission process like? Did you have to actually send it in or just send photos of it in or make get a print made? How did you? It was really simple. Um, you send a photograph of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, forcing in my office, we have a professional photographer, so I had him take a picture of it. And then I, I sent it in, mm-hmm. and um, it was on their website. And I guess people voted for it. And uh, along with the people voting for it online, uh, a select group from Lucasfilm uh, would be the judges to decide uh, who won. And then, gosh, not too long ago, like three weeks ago, they contacted me and said um, uh, they said that I won and that uh, um, asked for my information. And they, they got me tickets and they sent me out to uh, to uh, to Hollywood. And you were School. one of, of, of how many, Kevin? That were, uh, there, were six, there were six of us. There were six, six winners. And um, only two of us came from a great distance. Most of them are from California. Because um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of artists, there's a lot of uh, you know Star Wars fans, obviously in Cali, and uh, but like one, I know one was from Minnesota, and I of course am from Connecticut. So they, they they promised you VIP treatment. What was what what happened? What was the trip like? Oh, it was great. It was um, uh, had a ticket. You know, they they, they paid for flight and ticket out there. They uh-huh. gave us uh, they gave us a little uh, credit card gift card for for spend expenditures, uh, which uh, you know I because you know. You, you go to Hollywood, you got to like see the sights. And I went to, I went to Grumman's and all that stuff. Went to, went to Ronald Reagan's library. He couldn't, couldn't pass that <laughs> one up. And, um, and then, uh, you yeah, know, they put us up in this great hotel that, uh, I found out that, uh, uh, motorhead actually wrote the song motorhead at the hotel. Ooh. And, uh, I'm a huge motorhead fan. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, uh, big enough. I'm going to see them in two weeks in Germany. Right, stay playing, on target. Stay on target. Stay on target. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um. Motorhead. <laughs> yeah, I take umbrage in that. <laughs> so, um, but the big, the main event for you was was the actual gallery show, and yeah. uh, was that was that part of a bigger art gallery, or was this all about the Force Awakens and and seeing JJ and all of that? Um. Yeah, it was it was a full gallery, um, and it had about, if I was guessing, I'd say about fifty pieces, all of which were Star Wars. Okay, um, and most of that had to deal with um, uh, the new movie, The Force Awakens, and uh, well, no, I should say about half. Half was Force Awakens, and half was uh, was a classic trilogy. And those are great pieces. There's one piece of Han Solo by the um, by the Ion Cannon with on a tad, on a Tauntaun, mm. and he looks fantastic. It was a fantastic painting. I was just mm. in awe of it. I was wow. like, "Wow, I really want to steal from this guy." So you, so you had a chance to mingle with your fellow artists, and yeah, we um, all the winners stayed at the same hotel, uh-huh. and then uh, uh, you know, one of those big vans came and picked us all up and brought us in there, yeah. and then I had no idea what to expect or who was going to be there, and then uh, about ten minutes in there, uh, I was with, uh, yeah, I was able to bring one guest, and I bought an army buddy of mine who lives in California because Cordia couldn't make it. Because it was her mother's 60th birthday. That's a long story. Stay on target, right, Jim? Oh, anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, so uh, 
Don't so take I umbrage. With, well, I would say that you're, you know, the fact that you miss your mother-in-law's 60th uh, and you're still married, um, that's impressive. So she, she called me. Uh, Cordy's mother called me um, while I was at Grumman's to yeah. congratulate me. And she says, please don't worry about missing my birthday. You, you totally deserve Aww. to do this. Aww, but anyway, nice. but thank you. So, yeah. but back, back to where I was saying. Um, yeah. So at the art show, uh, we, I was just looking at one of the pieces and I kind of saw out of the, uh, the corner of my eye, like, I don't know, like 92 cell phones go up in the air taking pictures of something. And I'm like, okay, look, they're not taking a picture of a framed, framed painting of C-3PO. <laughs> Somebody's over there. Yeah. And then uh, I walked over in there. It was, it was J.J. Uh, Abrams. And, uh-huh. um, and then he started going down looking at the pictures and, and kind of like a, a, well, kind of like a pathetic person. I, I went and stood by my own painting. Yes. And waited for him to come by. No, <laughs> that well was played. brilliant. I, well wh- played. Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I know, but it's just, you know, I always, uh, like none of the other artists, I think, thought to do that. And I just decided to keep that idea quiet and I would just go and uh, uh, do that. But so he, he came up and the, uh, the gallery owner who, who knew who I was um, was showing him around. Mm-hmm. And when he got to me, he's like, oh, this is Kevin. This is his piece. And we, we talked for like four minutes and we talked about, mostly talked about Captain Phasma's hands and how hard it is to paint. Well, how did that come up? Well, he, he was asking about the painting and um, uh-huh. the medium and all that. And I said, I was actually doing two. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't finish the first one on the, the second one on time because it was Captain Phasma. And, you know, the hardest thing to paint in all of Star Wars is C-3PO's hands. At least for me, it is. <laughs> uh-huh. And so Kylo Ren or sorry, Captain Phasma has very similar hands. If you look closely to C-3PO's and to have that wrapped around a blaster is, is, is hard to paint. I still have the painting. And, and he found that fascinating. He, he thought it was funny. He introduced me to his son, so I guess that he thought it was, oh. you know, pleasant enough conversation. Uh-huh. And what did he have to say about your uh, your Kylo Ren? Did he say, eh, oh. close? <laughs> <laughs> so you messed uh, up the hands. <laughs> he, he, said, uh, he said, you could see Mark Hamill's eyes in there. Oh, <laughs> oh no way. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler I'm, totally, alert. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. And if you want to just strike that out of the conversation, no. I'm totally fine with no, that. No, it's too late. I already tweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So he was, uh, I'm, I'm sure, very uh, complimentary of your work. Right. Well, yeah, he was. He was, and he. If you saw the pictures, he looks really close. He takes his glasses off and he looks really close yeah. into the picture. And uh, well, you've got video of it up on uh, on your Facebook, and so yeah. um, can any. Is that is that private or can anybody go up there and see that, Kevin? Um, anybody can go. Okay. Anybody, All right. It's right Kevin Lyle L I E L L. Well, congratulations, man. That's that's fantastic. Thanks, that is so cool. Um, and and. As Jimmy said, well played, brilliant move. Go on there by the painting. All these other guys, they don't have pictures, much less video of themselves standing around talking to JJ about their work. That's that's fantastic. Thank you, thank you very much. I Separates the professionals from the amateurs. I'll just say that. So, Kevin, let me ask you this: How do you always get backstage? How do you always get in the front row? What's your secret, man? Uh, I, I love Star Wars. Yeah, uh, he's. <laughs> He's pulling the strings. No, but no, no, no. It's, anytime, because you know, remember when we were at uh, Star Wars Celebration, we uh, were watching the video feed from the main room during the opening ceremonies, <laughs> and there you are sitting front and center. Yeah, I yeah saw but, I, but there's, there's 600 people to the left of me and 600 people to the right. It's not like it's just Kevin Lyle's show. It's, it's just a lot of people. Yeah, but there. you're the, the common denominator of all this is what we're saying. It, you're always one of those 600 to the left or to the right in the center. Yes, um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one secret. I'll tell you one thing. You're tall. having an having a being tall does help because you're very commanding, and, and I'm ex-military, so I do sound really, really like serious. I guess sometimes, you do. but having a uh, uh, being an honorary member of the 501st is is very helpful in any event. Doesn't open any doors for us. Uh, do you wear your badge? <laughs> I wear. Whoa, 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 whoa! Look who the frick I'm talking to. You two, uh, stage hosts at celebration. Well, it didn't let us anywhere near that. That 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 opening ceremonies, really? Well, no, you had your own. No, we had, had our, no, panel. we had our own thing. You Kevin, own sometime I think what we'll try is I'll get up on your shoulders and we'll do like the Three Stooges bit. We'll get this really long trench coat, <laughs> and I can be. You can cosplay as a wampa. Could, we could. Go, or, I mean, we could get it anywhere. Cosplay as Yoda on my back. No, but seriously, Lyle is front row for uh, the opening ceremonies and celebration at Star Wars Weekends. He's front row for Frank Oz at uh, D23. Uh, He's getting all the the big posters and stuff. And we saw you at D23 in the front row there, too. Uh, Actually, I was in the second row behind George. 
So I wasn't in the front. Don't don't say I was in. I was in. I was actually sitting next to Dick Van Dyke at D twenty three. I spent two hours. I I went to go sit down. There was there was an opening in uh, in the second row, and there was an old man sitting there. So I leaned (laughs) over. I was with Mark Dodson, Salacious Crumb from uh, from Return of the Jedi and the Gremlins. I was with him, and I come walking up and go, "Excuse me, sir," and um, um. He turns around and looks at me, and I, I just turned white. I was like, oh, my God, it's Dick Van Dyke. And I turned to Mark, and I go, it's Dick Van freaking Dyke. And he's like, what? He looks over, and he's like, oh, we're both, like, in shock. And then so when this whole panel was going on, and, they, you know, they, 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 the D23 uh, Legends show, it was like an Oscar show. They would come out, and a new celebrity would come and talk. And somebody would come out and talk about Walt Disney, and he'd look to me and go, yeah, Walt was like that. I'm like, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> he's, wow. having, he's making small talk with you. Dick yeah, Van Dyke. Dick I mean, Van talk Dyke. about there are legends, and then there's guys like Dick Van Dyke, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean. So you got that's... you got Dick Van Dyke to the, the right of you, and you got <laughs> to the left of you, <laughs> and, George and George in front of you. Front of you. I, got I got George and Susan Lucci in front of me. Yeah, <laughs> was was the Luch with George? No, no. She was uh, she was also getting inducted into the uh, Disney Legends. What what, is she, like. what what has she done Disney wise? She she works for ABC, I guess. Well, yeah, but she does that soap opera or did that Which soap is, opera. Well, is, I guess that's a yeah, okay. Well, I don't even just know what soap anybody opera she did, in. but I, I remember she did a soap opera forever, and I'm assuming it's on ABC, and, and ABC is okay. owned by Disney. So. And, and she was famous for never winning the Emmy, but she finally did. I think she, she finally broke did. That she finally did. She broke All that. All My Children was the show. Oh, Jimmy would All know. Well, Jimmy calls them his stories. Which he watches. <laughs> now, that, now that he's self-employed, he's able to watch all his stories. Uh, all right. Well, again, Kevin, congratulations on that on the contest and always being in the front row. Thank you. Very um, much. Yeah. <laughs> but let's talk. Now, now that you say this, now that you say this, I'm not going to get in the front row at, at Celebration Europe. Oh, do you Thank think you we jinxed much. you? Yeah, we think we just, I think you did. Well, let's talk about this episode. Star Wars Rebels, as I said, season two, episode six. Uh, original air date, November 18th, 2015, for those of you listening to this in the future, and directed by Bosco Ng, and uh, directed by Kevin Hobson, and, and we, we, we got some criticism because we didn't mention last week that Dave Filoni wasn't the only director of the episode, that it was also co-directed by Sergio Paez. So well, hats, um, off. hats off to Sergio. Hats off to Sergio. Dave Filoni hats off to Sergio Paez because it was uh, we really enjoyed the episode and and it felt very Star Warsy and we of course we gave a lot of credit to Dave Filoni and and we were remiss uh, to mention uh, not to mention Sergio and his contribution. So we're all about you, Sergio. But let's talk about this episode, Blood Sisters, and we're getting a little bit of background more background on Sabine, who we've probably, I think, know the least about. We, we, we can assume a lot because we know she's a Mandalorian. We know that she wears the Mandalorian armor. Um, but th- there were some things confirmed in this episode that maybe we had thought about before, might have been intimated before, but uh, we know now for sure what the deal is. But And all this is discovered through um, her being reunited with Ketsu Onyo, um, who's uh, actually voiced by Gina Torres. And Ketsu, I, I mean, as we're introduced to her, I mean, that, that initial uh, fight scene, Jim, uh, it's like something out of one of the Jason Bourne movies. Like, I mean, that is some amazing stuff. She's using, you know, the stormtroopers as shields, so this stormtrooper's shooting at her, but she, he hits this other stormtrooper. Um, it's it just uh, in, in, incredible. I don't know that I've seen in Rebels a... a a takeout like that where it's one against eight and they make such quick work of them. Yeah, it was uh, really well choreographed, very exciting uh, action sequence. Um, much like Sabine, um, this new character, uh, she, she displays some very incredible uh, leaping techniques and skills. Too much? Ketsu, well, I, Ketsu demonstrates very Jedi-like ability. And we've taken note of Sabine springing around like a Jedi in prior episodes. So it's where's the line being drawn here? Maybe somebody should check both their metachlorian counts. That's the first thing I would say. I'm just saying, because they are jumping around a lot. 
That's the first thing I would do. So, I mean, it's just where is the line going to be drawn between a truly skilled force user like Ezra, like Kanan, compared to bounty hunters? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, dude. I, I thought w- when she was bouncing around like that, I mean, it was very impressive, but I was thinking about, you know, Yoda in Ep 2, you know, mm-hmm. when they come, when they, or excuse me, in Episode 3, when they come back um, to the temple. Yeah. And they're, you know, make, or they're making their way back, and Yoda's doing all that crazy stuff. Um, but it's, but it's Yoda. Of course, he's going to do that, right? Um, with with Ketsu, it was, um, hey, I mean, they were making a very bold statement about her abilities. We'll just put it that way, right? Well, obviously, she and Sabine are cut from the same cloth, and as the story unfolds, you begin to assume that that must really be her blood sister. You start to take the title of this episode literally because you think there is a relationship between the two but unless it was something i completely missed i don't think they're related at all it it seems clear that uh ketsu is is of different ethnicity than sabine so they're not necessarily blood sisters i thought that's the direction they were going i did too yeah i did too um kevin you're an artist um ketsu she displayed a lot of, you know, talent and abilities, but I don't know. Unlike a lot of bounty hunters, where it's about the suit, you know, it's about the look that install instills fear. Um, despite this, you know, being from the cutting room floor of Force Awakens, I didn't really find myself this to be that compelling of a look. What did you think of her uh, her outfit? Um, I liked it. It reminded me a lot of uh, of Boba Fett from the Clone Wars. When uh, Boba Fett had that costume, uh, when young Boba Fett was in the Clone Wars and he had that helmet, the helmet looked very uh, similar. Very, very similar. I agree. Which I thought I, so. It means it's kind of like a, a second version of a Mandalorian. Maybe there's two different types. The one we're familiar with, and maybe this one is Mandalorian. She also had a, a black sun painted on the back, and it was actually yellow, but it's the black sun symbol. Mm. painted on the back and she had made mention that she was um on that and i think that's the first time we've heard about black sun since the uh since the disney acquisition so i guess that's not going away and that's cool that that's you know that's still involved but also talking about her look i don't know did you did you notice the symbol that she painted on the wall when uh when sabine saw it Remember she saw that symbol on the wall and she walked over to it yes the very beginning of the episode if you look at that symbol and like, because I looked at it for like twenty minutes. I'm yeah. like, there's something there. I mean, I don't, I don't know Dave Filoni as well as you guys, but I know him well enough that there's, there's, there's something in everything that Dave Filoni does. So I'm sitting there looking at it, and I tilt my head to the right, and I realize it's two Mandalorians facing off at each other. They're no. both looking at each other. If you look at it, would you say no? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold well, on. Well, no, second. I, 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 I said I, I only say no just out of out of shock that that's what it is and i'm trying to find a, a still of it somewhere i'm looking at it right now okay wait a minute you're tilt, saying- tilt your head to the right tilt your head to the right like uh like a good 90 degrees a good uh-huh. 40 and a, maybe 45 degrees and you can see it you see the circle that's the dent of the helmet below it is the visor it's yeah. the perfect shape of the visor and just across from it is another visor tilting my head here so like oh, i see face it i see to face it. It's two faces. They're face to face, exactly like like Rocky and uh, and Clubber Lang, you know. Oh, okay. I could, yeah. This is like, um, you know, when they test to see if you're a crazy person, they have you look at the ink spot, <laughs> and what do you see? Kevin sees fighting Mandalorian. Fighting Mandalorians. I guess Kevin's a true Star Wars fan. Um, yeah. That would be interesting. You know what? We'll have to see if we can get an answer about that. Uh, that did not come up in in any of the materials at uh, StarWars.com. Um, you know, for this episode, and it was you know, certainly wasn't part of Rebels Recon, but we should find out what that is. That's what I'm sure. thinking. I'm, th- I'm thinking it's uh, it's two Mandalorian helmets. Good eye, Kevin. That's cool. That's cool. Thanks, yeah, man. for me, the the her her look just didn't. I, I you know I completely forgot about uh, that that helmet that young Boba wears in the Clone Wars. Um, there, there was something I thought that was kind of Plo Koonish about it. Um, yeah, I thought yeah. with the breathing apparatus and all of that, but um, it was um, it's interesting to know that it was uh, something that was abandoned from the Force Awakens. And, and Dave Filoni has kind of a, a, a funny uh, story about how he was asking anybody going to use that? Can I have that? 
And they were <laughs> looking at that stuff. And he, and he incorporated it in. Now, one of the things, uh, Jim, that we learn or that sort of brought out not so subtly by Ezra about Sabine is that she's a loner. Right. She does everything alone. She eats alone. She's uh, she trains alone. She practices her art alone. She does everything alone or, you know, as Ezra says, you know, most of the time. But yet we find out that it wasn't always that way, that there was Sabine and there was and there was Ketsu. So what does this tell us about this whole loner vibe that she's got going is this is she you know is this someone who is a who's become a loner after she and ketsu have parted ways or i mean for me it felt like a little bit of a contradiction because she's a loner and yet here's this person that's so close to her it's like a sister at some point doesn't sabine confront ketsu and and we learn at least what happened that separated the two of them. They were involved in some sort of altercation where Sabine was left for dead. Right? Yeah, she says yeah, that. She, that's right. she definitely says that. Yes, yeah. And, and that's all we know. So it's still a mystery what that, that circumstance was. But because of that, I think maybe Sabine might have difficulty trusting people. Mm. Obviously, she has trust issues. If she thinks that Ketsu purposely left her for dead or was being negligent, thus putting Sabine's life in, in, at risk, or maybe Ketsu thought Sabine was already dead. All these, all these questions must have been running through this girl's head while she's on the run. She hooks up with these rebels, but she still keeps everyone at, at arm's length. Because the one person she had trusted in her prior life had abandoned her. And we still don't know all the circumstances leading up to that. But that would obviously bring some trust issues to the surface. And naturally, then, she shuts herself off. Hmm. Closes down. Closes down. Shut, shuts down, yeah. Yeah. Um, Kevin, the, 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 the notion that she was a bounty hunter, is that something? I mean, I believe this is the first time that this has ever been confirmed. It's the first time it's been confirmed, but it's, but it's not too surprising. Um, because of the outfit? Because, because of her species, the fact that she's yeah. Mandalorian. I mean, every Mandalorian we've heard of just about is either a duchess or they're a bounty hunter. <laughs> they turned and bounty hunter. So um, I, I had assumed she probably had some sort of background in that. If, if she herself wasn't a bounty hunter, then her parents certainly were. Um, I just figured it was, too, it was too much a coincidence. Not obviously, not everybody is a bounty hunter in uh, in uh, in Mandalore, but uh, I just figured, yeah, she probably was. So I wasn't too surprised. But I, I mean, I was surprised they actually they actually said it though. Well, I mean, she we're, actually was engaged in it. We're you know, let's say a, a, a third deep into season two. How does this revelation, you know, how does that change your perception of her? Um, I I would assume that she's you know was more of a good bounty hunter that she's not a bad one like like Boba Fett or Bosk. I mean there are bounty hunters even in our culture that you know make an honest living doing what they do like dog like yeah, I was going to say dog's a bounty hunter like like exactly like dog to bounty I'm sure you, you, she prayed beforehand and then she went out and got the guy I'm sure she did exactly that <laughs> right but dog the bounty hunters if I'm not mistaken has spent a lot of time in prison <laughs> well you know hey to catch a thief. Uh, it, right. It's some, it, it sometimes uh, takes one. I don't know, Jim, for me, um, I, this girl has had more careers, uh, for someone who's in her, in her early twenties, most likely, um, it, it, she's done a lot of living in those, in those years. Well, even, you know, to, to shrink that down a little bit more, tighten up the spectrum. I think Pablo said in rebel recon that she's still a teenager. So, yeah, she's, she's definitely had a lot of life experiences. But, you know, growing up in a galaxy far, far away is a lot different than growing up on Earth. And uh, especially when you're an orphan, like I assume Sabine is. We still know nothing of her family, really. We know nothing of her parents. We only got a really brief glimpse into her past in one episode of season one. But uh, it's, it's it, the rollout the rollout for information on Sabine has been very slow and deliberate. And I think there's a, a purpose behind that. You want her to remain mysterious, I guess, but I find the more I learn about her, the more I like her. 
So I wish maybe they would speed up her character development a little bit so we can fill in a lot of these blanks. I think this episode helped to do that to a certain degree, but it still left me wanting more. And I guess that's really, you know, the goal at the end of the day when you're producing the show. Always leave them wanting more. It's a showbiz cliche, but it's true in a way. But I just want to say that the more information I have about Sabine, the more I grow to like her. I felt rather apathetic towards Sabine, probably, more so than any of the other characters on The Ghost. And I think that's because it's been a slow rollout for information about who she is, what makes her tick, and what kind of history has she had leading her up to this point. And it's obviously a very rich history because, like you say, Jason, she's had a lot of life experiences for someone who is still young, very young, still a kid, essentially. So it's interesting. Something that has kind of interested, it made me more interested about Sabine, and this has been going on since the beginning, is the relationship between herself and Ezra. Ezra obviously crushes on her a bit. Yeah, this is unrequited love, right? Uh, absolutely, because she looks at him like a little kid, like a little brother, I think. But yet the little brother finds that, the older sister has definitely shut herself off from him. He makes a big point of that at the beginning, a big point about that. In oh the yeah. Beginning of, it was, it was very humorous too, mm-hmm. where he was just kind of rambling on and on about how <laughs> she's, she's not paying any attention. to him. <laughs> Yeah. And he just, he, he seemed like he could just keep going and going. He's yeah. like, he's like, you know, he just, you throw out a topic at Ezra, and he can just spin it like no one's business. Yeah, well, and then later in the episode, she completely abandons him. At the spaceport, and there's one little throwaway line. She says a chopper. Oh, I'm sure Ezra's fine. Yeah, that was very curious. Also, I mean, it left me wondering, why didn't Ezra grab the comlink and call Sabine? Why did he call Hera, who wasn't even on the mission? It just didn't make any sense. It, I, had a, I struggled with a, a, a few things in this episode. That was one of them, was the abandonment of Ezra. And, and, and Kevin... Ezra, other than as Jimmy points out, that that really it was it was it was a it was a funny and, and kind of uh, touching scene at the same time. You know, him reaching out to Sabine, crushing on her big time, and she just continues to walk away from him, both physically and you know emotionally. Uh, but otherwise, there really wasn't any reason for Ezra to be in this episode. It was like they eighty sixed him pretty fast. Yeah, they did, and maybe. Maybe that's why it's, they wanted it to be <laughs> Sabine's story, and that's what it turned out to be. Uh, yeah, he was. I, I expected that he was going to show up, you know, in some third ship to come uh, help, help save the day or something like that. I he, thought uh, so too. Yeah, he never he never materialized. Yeah, no, he didn't. He um he was just he was a little bit um, tossed to the wayside in this episode, and that's fine. I mean, you can't have every character in in every episode. We didn't even see Zeb. We didn't see uh, Kanan. Kanan, that's right. Um, you know, obviously, Hera, the thing that we kind of, I think, can take away from Hera, she's now the commander of um, Phoenix Squadron. And so she, she's she got these responsibilities that might actually increase, um, you know, the scope of what she's doing beyond just Kanan and, and, and that little family there. She's going to have bigger responsibilities. I, I, Jim, I kind of hope that's something that maybe they explore. The demands that those that those new responsibilities are going to take on that tight knit family now that they have more than just themselves to be thinking about. And they certainly give us a prime example of Hera having to answer to her responsibilities now. You see that she's commanding a lot more people than just, yeah, the family on board the uh, the ghost. And what kind of repercussions will that have? You know how it is when work starts getting in the way and uh, you miss the little league games and uh, those moments that you'll never be able to get back again, you know, something has to give sooner or later. So yeah, Jason, I I think we're going to see some repercussions. Wasn't there an episode earlier this year where I swear there was where Kanan is kind of lamenting that he kind of misses the days when it was just them. Yes, absolutely. Right. He has a couple times. He's struggling with that, and it's it's kind of a compelling move in his character development to have him sort of miss, you know, the old days of Robin Hood and his merry men, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it, yeah, like that. 
uh, now they're they're part of a much bigger operation, and he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle, and he's having to take orders. And uh, like I said, the Filoni, Kanan is a true rebel to his core, and mm-hmm. he's he's going to resist authority, especially when it starts to really sink its claws into you. You know, he's going to push back. Unfortunately, we haven't seen much of Kanan in season two, so we don't really get too many examples of him focusing in on himself like I would like to see. We've seen him with the clones and and fighting alongside them, but we haven't seen a Kanan-centric episode yet in season two. And I think we're ready for one because I want to see how he's struggling with this new authority in his life. I think... Um, I think he might go rogue. If, if I could make a prediction about the future of Kanan, I think he might go rogue at some point. Well, when we last really saw him, he was uh, really a bit freaked out about these two Inquisitors. He, he thought, wow, I thought it was over. I thought there was one of these cats, and now there's two. Right, he was feeling defeated. Yeah. And not, and not to mention Vader, too. And, yeah, and Vader, which is something even more horrifying and scary than... The, the Inquisitors. So he knows he's, uh, he's lurking out there. So there's a lot on Kanan's mind. Um, there, was, there was something else, too, getting back to this episode in particular, that I thought was odd. You know, given the fact that we're, and I, I don't mean to be uber picky, but there were just a lot of things that just jumped out at me as just feeling a little inconsistent, a little, maybe a little contrived. Um, and, and it was humorous. I love the whole. Uh, moment when they're in the the spaceport and they're using the code word and they're saying it to everybody. It's like when you get off the airport and you're looking for somebody, you're picking somebody up at the airport, you never met them before, and you're trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to find this courier. They're expecting it to be, um, you know, obviously a, a humanoid, I'm sure. I don't think they were expecting a droid at all. But they're saying this code word, and I thought, gosh, for someone who is, you know, an imperial a cadet at the top of her her class, a well-decorated one, and then a bounty hunter and who's all about covert operations and um it just seemed a little a little amateurish for her to be shouting out the the code word there in the spaceport. I was thought when we saw Ezra doing it at first that she would come up and say, "No, no, 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 you can't. You don't do it this way." But she was joining right in. Hey, what was that code phrase? It's a long way to Alderaan. Yeah, it's a long, long way, to way to Alderaan. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or or as uh, Carrie Fisher's, she loves saying, uh, "Looking for love in Alderaan places." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I just felt I, that that Jason, was I'm, a little. With uh, yeah, yes, I, Jason, I'm with you on that point about the fact that they could have been a little more subtle in the way they were throwing that code phrase around. They were standing right next to each other, repeating the same line to the same people. That seemed foolish. They should have gotten together and posed as people just having a conversation. So when people got within earshot, one of them would just say it. It's all, well, it's a long way to Alderaan. You know, it would be a little more covert, I think, instead of them just shouting it out at random. But, you know, the show is kind of just having a little fun. It's just supposed to be a little comedic moment. And uh, I don't think it's to be really taken too seriously as far as, uh, uh, you know, I mean, it's like know your audience, that type of thing. And and like I said, Star Wars Rebels has definitely got a Saturday morning cartoon vibe. And I mean that in a good way. And uh, I think I think that moment is just a little bit of levity, probably for younger viewers. And uh, it it was cute and and comedic and everything. But it led us to the great moment of the show and probably one of the greatest moments that the show has ever achieved is finally the spotlight is on gonk. It's about time. (laughs) It's about time. And it's a really nicely uh, designed gonk. Very classic in its style. Kind of. uh, Kind of a nod back to the the old uh, vintage Kenner action figure in in a few ways. Definitely the traditional power droid as we know it. Um, I think even the legs were clicking as it walked. So <laughs> I think you're right. So hats I think off. You're right. I love when they throw in the old classic Kenner, you know, uh, 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 tribute. I think that's that's awesome. Uh, Kevin is 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 Gonk. Does he hold a special place in your heart? There's a lot of affection for Gonk. 
Oh yeah, when I saw that it was uh, that it was a gonk droid, I was like, I was excellent. I thought it was great. And then his, you know, his, his name, uh, EG eighty uh, six. I was kind of going through with my mind, much like the the logo. I was like, is there something there? Does that mean something, EG? And I couldn't come up with anything. I was wondering. There's got to be something with the EG. There's got. Oh, I'm sure something. they just they just didn't make it up. There's no way they yeah. just went ah whatever E and a G. Right. There's some there's something there. I just couldn't figure it out. But no, it was great to see the uh, to see a gonk droid in action again. That's the most we've ever seen a gonk droid do anything. And you in did, any medium. And you mentioned you did mention about the the fact that Black Sun was was brought in. Now we know that Black Sun is is canon. It was pulled into canon by the Clone Wars. We saw right, right, it was uh, was it Darth Maul? Yeah, it was Darth Maul that had pulled together sort of a uh, I, I don't know. It was, it was like he was pulling together his own mafia, his own mob across the galaxy. And Black Sun was, I think, one of the the parties, one right. of the five families. Right. But so maybe we'll see a Shizor. Who knows? One can only hope. We saw I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a Thrawn personally. You think they would go that far? I, I mean, I would I love it. They will. Oh I no, I'm just, that's just that's just what I want to see. If I could yeah. pick any character to, to to show up in Rebels, I would pick Thrawn, hands down. Obi Wan Kenobi would be pretty cool too. Yeah, well, he's already been in there as a hologram. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right as as, right. as a hologram. As a hologram. Uh, you know who I would like to see, guys? I'd like to see you, Lauren. I'd like to see what he's doing. Oh, yeah, because he's definitely uh, working his way up in the Empire at this time. Actually, he's working his way down. Remember, he was an admiral <sighs> last time we saw him, and he's a colonel in the Death Star. Oh, well, he, yeah, he's, he's a colonel. Which I always thought was weird. He's a colonel in the Death Star. He's Colonel Yularen in that Death Star. At least the first toy had him as colonel. Um, I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break. No, 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 no. That's 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 interesting. So his rank, according to the uh, the the Death Star bridge set uh, that came out. That that was. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Jimmy. You know a heck of a lot more about collecting than I do. Isn't that what does? Wasn't his rank like Colonel? You know, he was included as part of a box set of all those Imperials sitting around in the Death Star. Uh, briefing room during, you know, the uh, famous Admiral Mahdi scene when Vader chokes him. I, I can't recall exactly how they identified that character. I remember being younger and uh, younger <laughs> um, and uh, looking at at him sitting there. And this is in the time before every single character was fleshed out with a backstory and part of the expanded universe and everything. This was, I was trying to figure out who he was and because he was wearing a lighter covered, a lighter colored tunic, I thought he was a grand admiral. I thought he was the grand admiral, you know, cause Thrawn wore, wore white. He wore white. And, and if you look at those old VHSs or whatever, it, it appears he's wearing a whiter colored yeah, no, he's definitely wearing sure, white. Yeah. Oh, he's certainly wearing a lighter color. I, I, I thought he was supposed to be like an imperial uh, security or something. Yes, like that. Well, yeah, like kind of like the CIA. He's like internal security or you know human resources. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the CIA, so I'll hide and wear white when everyone else wears black and gray. That's yeah, he is. Uh, Kevin, you're right. He is identified as Colonel Wolf Ularen in the uh, the uh, briefing room box set. So he does get a. I guess he has to start over. Maybe. Um, Going from, maybe, uh, yeah. no, maybe he's retired. He's just, you know. And they, but he also they, went but you would retire at your highest rank, wouldn't you? Right. But he also went to a naval rank to, a, to an army rank. You know, oh. naval's admiral, colonel is, uh, is army. Well, does that – can you do that? Can you go from one branch to the next to another? I sir. One, one was enough for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> you did serve, and God bless you for it. Uh, Thank you. Um, okay, so – uh, 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 enough of, of that. Um, I think that there were. Um, th- th- I want to talk about the transport in that droid because, as you know, um, Kevin, you might not know this. Jimmy knows that I, I did go on Star Tours, but I watched half of it with my eyes closed. <laughs> so I'm not. A, I'm not a Star Tours expert. But was that droid? Was that a Star Tours droid? Yes, it that was like the Rex. original one. That was the original Rex. From Star Tours, I and so. um, I did not see Paul Rubin's name in the the end credits, but uh, Paul Rubin's Pee Wee Herman was the guy who actually voiced it for the ride, and he was featured in season one of Star Wars Rebels, where they had that droid also on another shuttle. 
So, yeah, he's back. Um, boy, that's kind of funny. I've been on Star Tours with both of you guys. Of course, yes. Lyle, me and him, we did a play-by-play. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah, that's, that. that was a lot of fun. And thank you for letting me do that. That was, that was really fun to have it, to have it you know, recorded so I can hear it years later. That's, uh, oh, it was a blast. That's really cool. We had a blast that day. That was really fun. That was fun. So, um, I, yeah, I've been on Star Tours with both of you guys. And, and, but Lyle had his eyes closed the whole time, too. So I don't know what <laughs> no, it means. No, I did not. <laughs> Maybe it's me, <laughs> but okay. So that was that was that droid, and um, there was something a little. And I know it's just a droid, and we're used to see. I mean, how many years now on Clone Wars we're used to seeing droids just dispatched with without. But when you have a droid with a personality, there was something about the kind of the the callous way that he was just disposed of and used by Sabine and Katso in that. Um, and getting and getting blown up that just seemed a little, maybe a little out of character. I don't know. I he, I found him kind of uh, uh, endearing. He wasn't a bad guy. He wasn't a bad droid. And they kind of sacrificed him. Oh, Jason's feeling sorry for the pilot droid. I am a little yeah, bit. That's, that's weird. Yeah, I I always thought in Star Wars they kind of looked at his droids as like as just like servants, like a microwave or something like that. They they don't get much respect. But okay, all right. So maybe I'm being a little too sensitive. Is that the idea? I think you are. I think these pilot droids are a dime a dozen, and they're not out associating with people on a social level. They are always at the cockpit of their ships, and so they're an appliance. Is that what you're saying? They're yes. They're they're just another part of the ship, essentially. So if you're going to sacrifice the ship, you're going to sacrifice the droid. Hmm. Okay. Poor guy. I guess. I guess. I thought, I don't know. I just, I was really surprised. I thought they were going to save him at the end or like, you know, grab him and bring him, you know, get him to safety. No. I would have. Unfortunately, no. But but again, there's so many out in the galaxy. Nobody's going to miss him. He doesn't have a family. <laughs> uh, he's not part of the community is don't what think I'm think they're at a little pilot droids at home? No, nothing and like Mrs. that. Pilot yeah. droid? You know, they have a mouse droid as a pet. and No, none of that happens. None of that happens. Yeah, I, I did mention uh, that we did get some feedback on the, on the last episode about uh, missing that director. And um, we've also received some feedback saying, you know, you guys don't really talk about the look of the show. We were always, of course, you know, very um, effusive in our praise of the Clone Wars and the look of the Clone Wars and the animation. And, and having uh, Kevin, you here on the program... Um, we haven't heard from you in terms of how you feel about this show, the look of it, the way it's animated, the way it's drawn, the way it captures the Star Wars universe and, and compared to, to Clone Wars. What's your take on the look of Rebels? Well, I th- my favorite part is the, uh, is the ships. When the ships are flying and they're fighting, it's, it's, almost, you, you, it's, it's almost exactly like watching a movie. It's, I mean, obviously, obviously it's a little different. But I think it's just uh, it's it's animated so well and it looks so fantastic. And the fight scenes, too, are choreographed, you know, so well. And uh, I think overall, the look, the look is really good. Um, I wasn't too hot on the Wookiees in the first season, but everything else has been uh, has been I I thought it's been great. I think Vader looked great. I think Tarkin looked great. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the emperor is going to look like. Anything in this episode jump out at you visually? Um. I liked her ship. I liked uh, Ketsu's ship. I thought that was really well designed, and it uh, it kind of had a, 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 a look like the ghost a little bit. But I thought it was uh, I, what I thought was really cool is when um, when Sabine was in her cockpit and she looks out at the ship at her, and you can see uh, Ketsu, you know, far off in the distance talking, even though she's talking to her on a hologram. You can actually see the person way off in the distance, uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. That that showed some uh, some some creativity. I felt. Yeah, I that that ship by the way, uh, according to starwars.com and the uh the trivia gallery was uh, it, it has its origin as a uh w- was going to be an imperial shuttle at one point, going back to the original trilogy. It was a concept for that and then it became it was going to be used as Ventress's ship in one of those abandoned episodes that they never got to that was turned into the uh, the last disciple book. About wow. Ventress was that a, was that a Macquarie, original Macquarie design? Now I don't know about it being a Macquarie, but I know that it was. Uh, I don't have that. I don't have it in front of me right now. But I I took a note that it was uh, 
an abandoned imperial shuttle concept. Right, right. It's yeah, Asajj Ventress's ship from the book Dark Disciple. It's the same type of ship. It's called the Banshee. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's just what some listeners have been posting up on our uh, Facebook page. I am unfamiliar with it. Um, I'm I've unf- never yeah. I've never seen it because I mean the, the book Dark Disciple is it's a novel. So I mean I. You know, no, but the, what this is is this. Um, well, let me. I'm going to get to it right here. I've got it right in front of me. Uh, the Banshee. Uh, let's see. Star, Aketsu Starship, the Shadowcaster, is a modified reuse of the Banshee, which was developed for the Clone Wars. It was going to be Ventress's ship in the storyline that was adapted into the Star Wars novel. Or excuse me, I, I, what did I say? Last Disciple. It's Dark Disciple. It's the name of the book. Oh, I um, understand. Yeah, okay, yeah, because so. that was based on concepts for Clone Wars episodes that were never produced. So and that I, makes perfect sense. And I've got. I'm, and I apologize. I've got my ships mixed up as always. Uh, Don't you hate the, when that happens? I do. The, the, the Star Bus was originally concept art for an Imperial shuttle. What we saw, what my, my boy, the, the uh, pilot droid was. Oh, okay. Was driving. Yeah, that makes, that makes more sense. It's, it's a little bit, bit, little more bulky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see it. I, I could see it. But they, they, they abandoned that and uh, moved on. All right. So this, for Hera's, or excuse me, for Sabine's big, um, you know, uh, her big moment. Here in season two, um, what do you think? What do you guys think? You think we she comes out of this episode more interesting, more fleshed out, more detailed? Well, I already mentioned that I find her more compelling the more I learn about her. So, yes, absolutely. But still, I'm left wanting more, more. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, Jim you, or uh, Jason, you were asking about uh, if I was surprised that she was a bounty hunter. I was more surprised to find out she was in the Imperial Academy. That was like, um, is that something I missed from an earlier episode? Because I didn't know that that was the case. And I was like, wow. They you do know, she- talk about that early in season one uh, when she's being introduced. Um, so that was known. The bounty hunter thing was, com- was, was not known at all. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, because that, that that's that surprised me, and it did make it more compelling. I mean, she was in the Empire, and she's a bounty hunter, and yeah. she likes to blow stuff up. It's somebody right. I'd like to know. <laughs> uh, well, and Ketsu, it sounds like played a role in um, uh, saving her from the Academy. It's it's. I, I would imagine they both left at the same time. That something happened, and they're both like, "Let's get the heck out of here." Now, were they both in the Academy? I think so. Yeah. Or was or was Ketsu? Not in the academy, and she helped um, Sabine escape. I'm trying to trying to recall. I, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but I I just got the impression that the two of them were the academy, and they both left together. That's that's what I was thinking. Oh, I, I don't recall that either. But I, I'd have I'd have to re rewatch it. I guess I could be wrong. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's those things that just kind of come and go very very quickly. Um, yeah, I I think that really. This comes down to just learning that she was a bounty hunter. I don't know that we walk away with anything um, of great significance, though. You know, when it came to Hera's episode last week, um, it was nice to see her take more of a center role. But I wouldn't say that it was really her big breakout episode in terms of really figuring out what makes what makes Hera tick. She has that that nice little conversation Heretic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she has that. Um, she has that nice conversation uh, with. Uh, oh, what's his name? Um, 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 Quarry. About why she joined the rebellion and you know why she has that drive to fly. So, you know, it would have been interesting maybe if they would have kind of. Uh, come back to that whole uh, Sabine alone, alone, alone. And at the end, you know, maybe sh- they show her uh, eating with the rest of the crew, you know, or, or sitting down with Ezra, you know, to, you know, to kind of show that she's she's making progress. She's she's seeing him reach out and she's, you know, this uh, being reunited with Ketsu reminded her of what it's like to have a really close friend or something. I would have liked to see them, you know, come back. To that whole, she's a loner, uh, loner, loner, loner that they had at the beginning. But you know, maybe hey, we've got more episodes to go. Maybe they will. Yeah, you got the exact opposite because the first thing she says to Ezra is "Get lost." 
You know, she's yeah, like, right. get out That's of here. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's true. So uh, coming up next week, we've got, uh, what, what do we What do we got? We got, a, oh, Stealth Strike. And uh, there's a couple of previews that are up and available online. Uh, it looks like they're in some pretty, uh, a pretty hairy situation with uh, the Imperials uh, picking up the, uh, what's the name of um, the... Uh, the ship there that's captained by the um, head of the rebellion at this point, the Admiral. They call it the Phoenix squadron. Um, yeah. Am I right with that? Yeah. But I don't know what they call the ship. Maybe it's the Phoenix. It maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, what's the, what's the name of, uh, what's the name of the, the head of the, the, the guy that's running the, the rebel fleet. Admiral what? Anybody remember? What an eerie silence! Oh, yeah. yeah, boy. Geez. Oh God! I mean, I mean, I mean, you got. What was the last time a question the three of us couldn't answer together? That one. Commander Sato. There you Sato. go, Commander Sato. Sato. That's oh. it. I knew it was coming. I knew it had like an Asian flavor Jeez. to it. Keep it Jun real. Jun Sato. Um, you know the thing that they never really and and I before we wrap this up, um, we should jump back and it just it's a very quick cameo but you see r2 at the end Yay. so the courier yeah the courier is picked up i mean that really that 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 whole plot it just gets completely lost i mean you talk about the definition of the MacGuffin. <laughs> was yeah, this droid i mean we don't really know what he's what he's carrying in terms of the information i don't think they ever come out and say uh, my question i have i have a question do, do you guys know what planet that was was that alderaan I thought they said it was Corellia or Corel. No, 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 no. Corel was the planet they were on. She left. She she went into hyperspace and left Corel to go somewhere else. Met R2-D2 and left again. And then you see her approaching a planet, which is Corel. So she left and went to another planet. My question is, is that Alderaan? Because it, it did, it, it didn't look unlike it. Where the episode where place? The episode guy just refers to it as the rendezvous point. Yeah, something like Havoc Point or something like that. They called it the the, the, the name of the actual spot where R two was, but it yeah. didn't mention the planet. You don't know the planet if you look in the background. It looks like uh, they're in a mountain region, so it could be Alderaan from what we know of Alderaan. I think they would have called it out if it was Alderaan. But they don't. You're right, Jim. On the episode guide, they say that it was the rendezvous point, and they mentioned Bail Organa, but it, Bail's not there. We just see R2. Looking for love in Alderaan places. Yeah, exactly. Well, so much happens in these 22-minute episodes, and uh, it's hard to catch it all. Yeah, did you did you notice when when that plane was when the ship was landing at the very end? They actually played the music from uh, the pod race, the pre-pod racing music from episode one. Right, that was an interesting nod at the prequels, and I don't think we've heard any music from the prequel era in Star Wars Rebels, at least none that I can recall. No, I've I you know when uh, Padme's ship lands at the beginning of episode two, before the explosion. Yeah, uh, th- I've heard that music. Uh, it was either in this episode or the prior episode. Yeah. Uh huh. Interesting. I, as a matter of fact, I think it might be when. Yeah, I think it's this episode. But but you're right. It's it's more rare to hear music from the prequel scores, certainly than it is the original trilogy score. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's going to wrap up our review of Blood Sisters and Sabine's big moment. As they say at the end of the episode, I don't think we've seen the last of Ketsu, and I hope not. I hope not. I, I would like to see them expound on this. And, um, you know, we've seen them recruit Rex. We've seen them recruit Quarry. So it's kind of interesting to watch them build... The Rebellion. 
member by member, and maybe Ketsu is next. I half expected her to just join them, and that maybe she would pop in and out, but maybe that would have been a little too a little too neat and tidy. We're left to wonder when we'll see Ketsu next. Kevin Lyle, thanks, man. Thanks for being on the show. Great to hear your perspective and your Thank you. commentary. Thank you. I just want to say, uh, the, the last time they had a show in the Clone Wars called Brothers, you had me on your show. This one, they have a sh- an episode called Blood Sisters, you have me on your show. So I guess I know when I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're always welcome. And uh, and Kevin, you do lead this, you know, you know, almost Forrest Gump-like life where you uh, <laughs> you always find yourself uh, surrounded by such interesting people. And I'm starting to think that maybe that's because you're such an interesting guy yourself. Oh, so, thanks. birds of a no, feather. I'm just, I'm just completely devoted to Star Wars, I guess. That That's awesome, man. And, and if, if folks want to follow you and your uh, devotion I'm, to Star I'm Wars, where the, where's the best place to do that? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Kevin Lyle on Facebook, or uh, my company, NorseLegion.com, where we you know do our thing. Doing your thing and doing it very well. Congratulations on all of that also. All right. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jimmy. Oh, anytime, Kevin. Completely devoted to Star Wars. You fit in perfectly here, sir. <laughs> Jimmy Mack, Blood Sisters, final thoughts. All right, Jason. There was a, a lot going on in this episode underneath the surface, as it appears, because I thought our analysis of this episode was really compelling. It opened my eyes to a lot of things. Most notably, Lyle's observation of the graffiti on the wall left behind by Ketsu at the beginning of the episode. I mean, let's sit Kevin down with some ink blots. Let's do a little Rorschach <laughs> testing with Kevin. I Rorschach? I want to see I want to see what's going on, you know? I mean, maybe next convention we can run outside and just lie down in a field and stare at some clouds, Kevin. I That's a star destroyer. Love to love to get in here. Great to see Gonk in this episode, as we mentioned. And fun to see him in the spotlight. Um, I, I did find Ketsu to be a very intriguing uh, character. I, I certainly know that that's not the last we see of her. Uh, she did fly off in her ship at the end of the episode, but it seemed like they were kind of leaving the door open for her to return. She just revealed that she didn't know if that was her thing right now and uh and uh and and, and the rebels seem to understand that they they know that you know maybe they you might need this a little bit of breathing room before you fully commit but sooner or later i think they believe ketsu is going to commit and i believe that as well uh dave filoni and Steven Stanton is uh, stormtroopers in this episode something we didn't point out but i noticed on imdb noticing uh Mr. Filoni is doing more and more voice work, so uh, good for him. Um, I, I like to see him getting more personally involved in his uh, Star Wars creations, and uh, that's one way to do it. I found Jason's observations about the pilot droid to be really interesting. You know, it brings up that 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 argument that comes up a lot of times in science fiction. You know, are these robots actually sentient? Are they actually considered to be or should they be considered to be individuals? Lord knows Data had to deal with this like his entire career. But, um, you know, focusing on the wars, I think it's kind of an interesting uh, argument to apply. Um, I would definitely say yes to Chopper and 3PO and R2. They, they seem like legitimate individuals. But I also always look back to that comment that George Lucas made years ago about why Obi-Wan didn't recognize R2 out in the desert in Tatooine. And and George always said, hey, droids are as common as blenders in the Star Wars universe. You don't instantly recognize a blender you owned 20 years ago when you see it again unannounced. So so I I, I get that. That's a really compelling argument that maybe sometime we'll, we'll scratch the surface a little deeper on. Um, I, I love to see Chopper in action out in space. I thought that was a lot of fun. For some reason, those sequences in that um, that air tube between the two ships, that very small little corridor there, it was very claustrophobic. For some reason, I, I really found myself enjoying the scenes, the brief scenes that were in that, that airlock area. I don't know why that is. I just found it to be an interesting Star Wars environment. And then, of course, when... Uh, Ketsu, um, uh, or when that uh, stolen ship, that ship they stole, uh, when it explodes, that was some of the best explosion animation I've ever seen. 
in uh, Star Wars Rebels or just about any other animated television show. So I, I think a lot of credit goes to Joel Aaron. I, you know, we, we always forget about his amazing accomplishments on this show because uh, he really adds a lot of uh, depth and texture and uh, brilliant lighting um, in each and every scene that he uh, puts his fingerprints on. So, and of course, great to see R2 at the end. Anytime you see R2 and Chopper together, I think is kind of a, a treat. So uh, fun to learn more about Sabine. Some good action sequences in this episode. We got introduced to a, a new character who looks to be rather compelling. So uh, I, I think that uh, this was a, a very successful episode for Star Wars Rebels. And I give it uh, three out of four Banthas. Of course, Puffer Pig, not in this episode. All right. That's it. We'll see you next time. When there's another episode of Star Wars Rebels, we won't be far behind here on Rebels Declassified. Until then, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember... The Force will be with you, always. Three out of four banthas. You like my new rating system? I like that. Yeah, yeah that's like only that. like that's only like seventy five percent, man. That's, that's, like a, that's like a C. That is. It's a B. It's a B. Actually, it's um. But uh, yeah, by, by no means is my rating system scientific at all. So right or consistent. <laughs> Wait, well, is, nothing. Is seventy five is seventy five percent of B in Chicago? No, 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 no. But I, you know, I look at it. <laughs> When you, That's when, why Obama was able to graduate. <laughs> no, but I mean, no, you, you can't. No, it's not. It's not a percentage score. It look at it more like a letter grade. So it, you know, four out of four banthas is an A. Three out of four banthas is a B. Two oh, out okay. of four, you know, okay. and so on. So okay, I give you negative two banthas. Jesus, for, yeah. man. <laughs>